With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Joe, I got to tell you, it's great to have the workout anytime on board 5460 as one of our sponsors. Many of our listeners already know that workout anytime as their hometown club where they can work out on their schedule 24-7. Others might be aware that workout anytime is a great business opportunity as well. That's right, Mike. Workout anytime is one of the top 200 fastest growing franchises in the country. and They've been at this for more than 20 years. And they're currently in 22 different states, and they're internationally in Honduras and Costa Rica. How about that? You know what? Opening up a gym is becoming a real big part. How about $30 billion in health and fitness industry is what you're talking about this year. Never has it been any easier to invest in Workout Anytime franchise. Joe, you know you and I are one in five American adults that have a fitness membership. Yeah, I did know that. As a matter of fact, and I'm told... That number is expected to nearly double in the next 10 years. I know these folks that work out anytime, and I have known them for a long time. They're so passionate about the industry, and their franchises rave about the support that they give the company. Well, here's a great business tip. Go to WorkoutAnytimeFranchise.com and learn more. And while you're there, you can see the map of available locations and find out how you can arrange an initial phone conversation to hear more about the proven Workout Anytime business model. That's WorkoutAnytimeFranchise.com. Welcome to 5460, the Joe West Podcast. Featuring former Major League Baseball umpire Joe West. For six decades, no one has seen more baseball than Joe West. And now he shares those stories with you every week right here on the Podcast Heat Network. Now listen, Joe West is asking the Reds to leave the field. I guess maybe as a form of security. Well, Joe West is not going back behind the, the catcher. So what is he doing? He, he wants to throw him out or what? He's 
not going to back away from confrontation. It's just not in his makeup. Who, which guy are we talking about backing away? Well, come to think of it, hey, it's both guys. <laughs> and they're warning the Atlanta dugout now. A helmet came flying out. Bobby Cox, I don't think, threw the helmet. One of his players did. Bobby's jawing back at Joe West. Somebody's been tossed, and here comes Cox. It was Bobby Cox who threw the helmet out there. Off the umpire, oh. and that's a foul ball. Joe West gets drilled, and he appears none the worse for it. <laughs> He's a strong man. Nice. Now Joe's going to give him some argument because Mark's saying, "Why do you do?" Joe, just get over there and umpire, will you? Yeah. Just get over there and umpire. No. That's all. It's. 5460, the Joe West Podcast. Here's Joe West and your host, Mike Claiborne. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of 5460, the Joe West Podcast. I'm Mike Claiborne, and we have another great guest today, Joe, and a guy who's played in the major leagues for a number of years. You know, 2,700 hits is a lot of hits for a guy like that. He's a World Series champion. He's been an all-star. He's done a lot of things in baseball. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show, Johnny Damon. Johnny, thank you so much, man. How are you? Everything's fantastic. I was just next to Joe's house a few uh, hours ago, and I was like, I could go to your house and do this uh, podcast. And I had to rush home, get ready, like freshen up my hair. And <laughs> I shot pretty good today, Joe. I mean, we only got to finish 12 before that uh, downpour came. But, you know, I was... I was only three over after 12, so my golf game's getting better. Yeah, you're getting, I'm coming you're for getting you. a lot better. You're getting a lot better. You, Joe, like always. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we always ask this question, how did you guys get together? I mean, obviously, you guys were working in the same profession. What was your first encounter with Joe West? There was a lot of encounters. And, <laughs> you know, as much as people didn't like Joe, I mean, Joe's like a uh, cowboy Cowboy Joe West is what I always call them. P us players don't like umpires because they're the ones who are calling us out, calling strikes. And what I love about any umpire, like, you know what's going to happen going in. Like, so if Verlander's pitching, if Verlander's an inch outside, Joe West isn't calling that a strike because he's going to bring that ball inside to me and I'm going to take Verlander deep. So... <laughs> So Joe was always fair. We've had a lot of situations, especially with my Red Sox team, that Joe actually did the right thing and checked to see what was possible. And I know in 2004, um, Dave McCarty hit a – well, we Red Sox thought was a home run because he hit, like, one of the upper echelons of Tropicana Field. Well – they didn't call a ground roll double. They called him out because they said, you know, Carl Crawford or B.J. Upton was going to uh, catch the ball. So we had a big scenario there because we're fighting for the title. We want home field advantage. But the 2004 Red Sox team, we bonded so well. And especially in that series against the Yankees, when you go to the playoffs, yeah, there's – there's calls that you're never going to like. 
I'm always a fair guy. I, I can always like brush things off and get to the next play, next at bat, next game, whatever. A lot of these guys are soft, especially possibly now. But in the 2004 playoffs, game six, Mark Bellhorn hits that home run that bounces off of somebody's like huge hulking chest in uh, left field and bounces back on the field. So I walk to Joe and I go, uh, you guys are going to change that, right? Because uh, the right call is a home run and instant replay was not part of major league baseball at the time. It, it always should have been because it's, it's tough to call certain plays and, you know, Joe, as much as some of my teammates did not like him, Joe did the right thing. And he asked the tough questions and tough questions in society, tough questions in sports. Joe was always honest. So if they didn't change that call, who knows? You guys might be interviewing somebody else right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the same game that uh, Alex Rodriguez slapped the ball out of Arroyo's glove at first base. Yeah. And we changed that one, too. Yeah. Uh, and it was a great call you all did because, I mean, they they were feeling really good. Like, gee, they're scoring on, uh, from first base on a ball that was hit to the pitcher. <laughs> That's probably yeah. never been done before. No. Um, at least I haven't seen it, but um, they thought they were in the right and you umpires were correct. Like, um, And also going back to game four, Tony Clark hits that ground rule double, which would have easily been a triple and run score but you guys stay to your guns you guys always called it the right way and you know unfortunately like some guys in the past i i know like dom dickinger amazing umpire it's tough to get everything right because we are going this fast and um you know i i love talking to him i love talking to the umpires and just seeing how everything is going on and obviously i play golf um, at Joe West's uh, Country Club all the time, and we talk about stories, and we get after it, and <laughs> it, it's always about being fair. It's not always about being right, but being fair in the process, because I would love to hit every ball perfect, but guess what? That perfect ball ends up being an out, and that little bloop down the uh, broken bat down the left field line can drive in three. So that's what's <laughs> great about our game of baseball. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting game and, and it's, there's so many different variables to it. Uh, like you said, you got to hit a, a round ball with a cylindrical bat and then hit it square and then hit it where they can't catch it. So it's, it's not an easy game to play. It's, it's definitely not that, but uh, you were, you were always easy to deal with because of what you said. Your attitude toward the game was uh, to win the game. You didn't, uh, you didn't uh, have an attitude about yourself. And so uh, I think you probably got treated very well by most of the umpires. So Yes, uh, absolutely. Were... Yeah, I know it's a failure sport. And that's the problem with trying to get kids back into baseball because – you fail now, you're like, okay, I want to do something that I can succeed at all times. Well, you do want to succeed at all times, but you need to be able to pick yourself up and 
um, get after it again. I mean, I how many times did I fail in Major League Baseball? Probably 7,000 times. And I still have that big smile on my face because that's what I wanted to do as a kid. You know, I wanted yeah. to make sure my parents didn't have to pay for me to go to college. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't a burden on them. So I went out there, I battled. And because I did that, I uh, succeeded. And to this day, I'm going to continue to go out and battle for everything I have, except for like a two foot putt, Joe. Like, I, I mean, I mean that's a gimme, right, Joe? No, they're no gimmies. <laughs> Come on, let's go. <laughs> yeah, do you know? Do you know why amateur golfers uh, make more three foot putts than professional golfers? Um. Probably because they're putting for par. <laughs> no, the professional golfer has to putt his three foot putts, mm. and you're trying to give them to him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, uh, always remember that. <laughs> I, I gave myself a six footer today, Joe, because uh, my teammate was already in for a birdie. So I was like, "It's par's That's, good." <laughs> yeah. So make sure you put that down for your handicap because that counts too. You know. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> I'm down to a 10 for some reason, and I feel like I'm actually uh, like 18. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all had that day on the yeah. golf course where you, you think you're one thing, but you find out you're something else. That so day, it's every day for me. So <laughs> I don't, I don't want to put down double, triple bogeys. So it's like, hey, well, as you, long as I'm not taking money off of anyone, I was like, okay. One less than you. <laughs> Listen, you, you had a 284 batting average lifetime. So that's, you that's crazy. If you would have called me safe that one time, it would have been 285. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you're definitely more successful playing baseball than you have been playing golf. I can see that. <laughs> you, well, you know what, Joe? You know, Joe, here's the thing. He hit 284, but I think what's more fascinating, 2,700 hits, almost almost 2,800 hits in a career, in an 18-year career. There's a lot of guys who play a lot longer to get to 3,000, and Johnny Damon's he had a heck of a career. I, I mean, guys, still to this day, I'm 55th all-time in hits, 31st in runs, 49th in doubles. Like, doubles, like no one thought of me as a doubles hitter, but – I was hitting 288 about two years prior, but that last year in Cleveland just absolutely killed my batting average because 284 doesn't sound good. Like um, <laughs> two, 279 sounds better than 284. Like, am I being correct on this? No, I think when you when you're in the 280s, that's that's a good player. Yeah, that's but like player. I said, if Joe. And his crew would have called me safe when I was really safe and we had replay. I would have been at 285 and people would have looked at it a little bit different. But, hey, I always had a great time playing. Things happen for a reason. I mean, there was this one time that um, with the Red Sox, um, kid with the A's, uh, Breslow, I believe, um, he was getting through the inning. And there was a hit that I made that I possibly could have made. I, I hit it back to the pitcher. So he bobbled it. It was whatever. They gave me a hit on it. Well, he eventually 
gives up a bunch of runs afterwards. And after the game, I told the scorekeeper, give me an error because the, these relief pitchers, if their ERA is over four or five, they may not be looked at. His ERA was going to stay in the two. So I was like, I could care less about the uh, hit as long as I get that run scored because I wanted to keep playing. Like run scored wins your ball games. Driving in runs wins your ball games. And that's uh, that's how I always looked at things. So um, do what you can for your teammates, for your fellow um, uh, competitors. And the kid was surprised, but I'm like, man, I want you to keep doing doing what you can. Live your dream because if you have a five ERA going into free agency, you're not going to be looked at. Yeah, but work. see that that's admirable. You you instead of doing something that's selfish, you did what was right, and I'm sure it should have been ruled an error if you kept bobbling it. So <laughs> that's the whole point, you know. You but I'm still do. fast, Joe. I, I know, and, and you got you you had 400 stolen bases to prove it. So that that makes a difference too. And uh, sure, uh, but the big thing is is you played a, you played like a winner. You played like a, a team a team player and. And uh, I'm afraid the game's moving away from that. And I think that's why we're seeing all the strikeouts we're seeing and all the, yeah. uh, the, the situational hitting is not there. We don't, we don't have guys that will move runners over. We don't have guys that, that play to win like, like you did when you were coming up. This episode is brought to you by CarShield, who makes it easy and affordable to protect my car from expensive repairs. And that's just for starters. CarShield is the number one auto protection company in the U.S. and offers protection plans for around 100 bucks a month. The plans cover more parts than ever before, whether your car has 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles. Let me tell you how simple it is to get your car fixed. When you need a repair, you choose the mechanic, and CarShield's administrators handle all the rest. That's it. You don't have to deal with the paperwork or the headaches you're taken care of. The same goes if your car breaks down and you're stuck on the side of the road. Plans through CarShield also include coast-to-coast roadside assistance. CarShield administrators are there for you with rental car options and trip reimbursement at no extra cost. Get coverage today and you'll lock up your price now and it will never go up. That means as long as you own your car, no matter how old it is, you're protected from the rising cost of parts and repairs for your vehicle. CarShield helps protect my wallet from expensive car repairs, and they'll do the same for you. Go to carshield.com slash podcast to start your plan and lock in your pricing forever. That's carshield.com slash podcast. A deductible may apply. Yeah, I always sacrifice uh, for the betterment of the team. Um, As many times as I could have, taking a huge swing, I would rather get the guy over. And if you look at the numbers of the guys who hit in front of me and behind me throughout my career, they always had career years. And it's because I always put people in better situations to succeed. So um, a lot of 
maybe I should have been a little more selfish, but that's never been me. I've always been a guy who's like, let's take care of this guy and this guy and let's get him a great contract after the season. I never worried about myself because I knew where I came from. You know, my um, dad was in the army. My mom is from Thailand. So they met during the Vietnam War and they always taught me important things about life, being kind to people and always just um, believing in yourself. So I, I never back down. It's like, I, I feel confident in whatever I did. And that's why I possibly had a chance to play in the NFL. I mean, it probably will only been a couple practices before I got my <laughs> head. Um, basketball is the only thing that I wasn't good at. Soccer, I was solid. But there was a lot of things I could do in my life, and I'm continuing to do it. And it's for the betterment of people. You know, my Johnny Damon Foundation, we help people who can't help themselves. And that's why I always step up to do what I can, whether it's going to charity golf events or going to a little league or and going to a hospital to see these kids who I inspired over the years and to see the appreciation that I get everywhere I go. Uh, I can't trade that for anything. No, it has to make it has to make you feel good. You know, I can remember one time when Ted Simmons was still playing with the Cardinals, and I was just a young umpire at the time. So that has to be years ago. Um, the pitch came in, and there was a guy on second base with no outs, and he adjusted his swing to hit a ground ball to the right side of the diamond. He's hitting right-handed, and uh, so he came out to catch the next inning. I said. Uh, uh, what'd you do that for? And I, he said, what? I said, hit the ball to the right side on the ground. He says, if you can't ask the third place hitter to move the runner over, how do you ask the eighth place hitter to move him <laughs> over? Just like, I mean, like that was no big deal to him. He, uh, I mean, this is 300 hitter. He's a hall yeah. of fame catcher. And, yeah. and he's, uh, he's moving the runner over years yeah. later, years later, there's a guy on second base, no out. And, uh, Barry Bonds is batting, and uh, he tries to yank the ball out of the park, and he makes it out, and the runner doesn't go to third base. So he comes by me going to left field, and I said, uh, how come you didn't move that runner over? He said, I'm not the move the runner over kind of hitter. <laughs> so it tells you the difference in the yeah. way they are. And I'm, I'm don't get me wrong, Barry Bonds was a great ball player, but – that attitude was not a big league attitude. Yeah, yeah, and, it did. It it definitely changed when I got to Boston because they're like, "Don't steal bases," um, and if there's a chance for you to get thrown out, because we would rather have Ortiz and Manny hitting instead of you being thrown out second. So I was like, "I get it." So. 2009, Mark Teixeira comes over to the Yankees. He hates when guys steal bases when he's hitting. So all season long, I stayed there, had that first base hole open all year for him. 
And come World Series, well, everyone knows I don't steal bases with Mark is hitting. I had this in the back of my mind the whole season. I see where they're playing him. So we're in the ninth inning. We gave up a um, home run to Pedro Feliz the inning before, and they have some momentum. So Brad Lidge gets the first two guys out. Um, Slider was absolutely nasty. I battled my ass off, get the hit, and I was like, I've got to make things happen. I've talked to the greats in the game, like Kirk Gibson, and um, they're like, when you can get it at a key moment, get it. So I made my mind up. I said, I'm going to still second base, and if third base is uh, non-occupied, I'm going to get that as well. So you learn from how the season goes. Tixera never wants anyone to run on him. And I was like, this is the one time this season that I'm going to get after it and get two for one. And everybody loves two for ones, right, Joe? That's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, when, when, when Mays played with the, the Giants and the guy hit behind him was Willie McCovey, they didn't want Mays to steal either. Now, Mays is probably – great of athlete as I ever saw play the game, but they didn't want him to steal second base with Willie McCovey hitting because he was a left-handed pull hitter. And it wasn't, it wasn't Willie's idea. It was the giants telling Willie, we don't want you to steal a base when he's hitting. Yeah. Understandable. So Willie, Willie would go with well, I must, I, I'm going to have to start hitting more doubles. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Johnny, you played for – you got 18 years in. That, that's a great accomplishment. And, and apparently you had fun everywhere you went. So aside from winning the World Series, what place did you feel like you had the most fun in and you really turned into the player that you are today? Well, definitely when I became a free agent. You know, I had six really fun years in Kansas City. I still should have been in college when I got called up to the big leagues. Uh, get traded because I had too good of a year in uh, 2000 and Kansas City pretty much says we're not going to be able to afford you what these uh, big market teams can pay you so I get traded to Oakland I finally learned how to have fun playing baseball because I always had that thing like if I don't do good I'm going back to the minors or I'm going to be done so um, enjoy playing baseball and learning from like Jason Giambi and they, they had all these young kids like uh, Mark Mulder, Tim Hudson, Eric Chavez, Miguel Tejada. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. And then I learned how to relax and have fun and leave everything on the field. Um, whatever happens, you can't change the past. So became a free agent thought I was going to the Texas Rangers because um, I'm close with John Hart. He's from Orlando, um, but Texas just did not have the budget because they they were locked up with A-Rod. So Boston was it. And the minute I showed up to Boston, I know Billy Broadbent, who does the video for uh, the Red Sox, he goes, you're the reason why we are going to win a World Series. And I looked at him and said, Wow. Um, I'm expecting to win the World Series every year. It just doesn't happen. But he goes, you're the one guy who can make sure the clubhouse is taken care of. You're the one guy who can 
bring calm to this to this uh 86 years or it was 84 at the time of people believing we're gonna lose all the time and i was like yeah i'm, I'm not worrying about what happened 84 years ago i'm worried about what's going to happen here i'm going to get this clubhouse together and we are going to rock and roll and we are going to um, have as much fun as we can because our baseball life is short. I want to tell my grandkids about the greatest time of my life. And I'm going to tell my kids how you cannot replace my time with the Red Sox and then just moving on. Um, best time of my life, Major League Baseball. Well, that's interesting because you you sure broke the curse, and uh, I can remember when you hit the home run in Game uh, Seven of that uh, divisional series. Uh, yeah, actually, I, actually, it was the League Championship Series. Yeah, I got jammed on that Grand Slam, but the next one, that ball still hasn't landed, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Joe, tell our listeners what you told me about the all-natural B1 sports performance and wellness patch that's revolutionizing sports nutrition. Fans, there's no more sugary energy drinks or extra caffeine for an energy boost. The B1 patch is fast-acting, it's body heat activated, and proudly made here in the United States. It's a must-have if you're out on the golf course or on the go or just patching up your future major leaguers. Feel good about using this 100% all-natural B1 patch from USA National Patches. It's easy to apply, worn by over 200 athletes, and is the official patch of 78 Division I schools. And, Mike, I personally use the B1 patch for years, and they've made a, a real difference in my life. Visit buyb1.com and enter the code umpire to buy B1 and get one free. I really want you to try these, and I want all our listeners to try it. You'll be glad you did. It's the B1 patch. Don't compete without it. That's buyb1.com. Enter the code umpire and buy one and get one free. Yeah. You know, when you look back at those teams, every guy who breaks into this game has somebody who looked after him and took care of him. Uh, and you play for a number of different teams. Who was the person that took care of you when you first broke in? It really kind of gave you the, the the wisdom, the confidence, the belief that you could be a big league player. Yeah, when I first broke in, I mean, the Kansas City Royals had to release guys like Vince Coleman, um, Craig James, and I'm going, I, I never had a big league spring training because in 95 there was a strike that was going on, and maybe that was my time to get my um, – cup of coffee and my feet wet. So I got called up from double A and I was absolutely crushing it. But I thought if I got called up, I'll go to triple A to move somebody. And I was so upset that I was not in the lineup because I, I had a day off a couple of days prior and a great man, Ron Johnson, uh, you know, God rest his soul. He goes to the clubhouse. You know what? Johnny Damon is upset that he's not playing today. He, he's like, a bunch of these guys don't play every day. And 
um, they're not as upset as you are. And, and I'm going, I just want to play because I, I think I can help us win. He goes, Johnny Damon, the reason why you are not playing today is because you are being called up to the major leagues. And I was like, uh, well, he said big leagues. And I'm like, big leagues is big leagues, like triple A. And he's, he goes, no, you're going to Kansas City. You're going to be starting in center field tomorrow night. And I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, that was the call that I was, I, I wasn't expecting it for another year, two years, three years. And then when Ron told me that, it was absolutely amazing. And uh, I was able to get my career going because I, I was seriously considering going back to college and uh, playing football, which that would not have lasted 17, 18 years. So uh, <laughs> uh, it was a great time. Yeah, that's it. When you get first get called up, it's it's the biggest day of your life. And never play the minor league game afterwards. I went on the DL one time, and it was around the All-Star break, and I was talking to uh, Girardi and the guys, and I'm watching the games down here because I drove to Tampa and did my rehab and all that stuff. And I'm like, guys, I can see every pitch. I mean, granted, the catchers are doing one, two, three, but I'm like, I I can see everything that they are showing. And they said, you're not going to a minor league um, camp. You're, you're coming back to the big leagues and you're going to DH because Hideki had just got injured. So I could DH for a little bit. I couldn't lift my arm past here, but I could definitely do this. <laughs> so, so I uh, got to the big leagues and I mean, I played 16 straight seasons of 140 plus games. Um, only uh, Brooks Robinson and Willie Mays and myself. I mean, obviously Kyle Ripken would have been on that list except for the strike. And then I couldn't get a job after, uh, you know, after that. And I'm, I'm still a beast today. I mean, Joe, you you see me at the club. I'm still a beast. <laughs> hey, you know, 2,700 hits, that, that's a lot of hits. Uh, and you played a lot. So, obviously, there are some pitchers that you had great success against. Who, who was some of those guys? And what pitcher had the paperwork on you? Um, you know, I actually – I don't know the numbers in front of me, but I know – Verlander's first year I took him deep twice and I saw everything he was pitching to me and I kind of like told him like you're tipping every single pitch so maybe I helped him get to the Hall of Fame uh, but we'll, we'll see um, I had success against Scherzer when uh, somebody was on base because he always tipped something um, but I seemed to do better off of the ones and twos instead of the fours and fives like when the speed is like the same and they move <laughs> a little bit differently that's who i had trouble with and a right hander's changeup was my kryptonite so say pedro martinez that changeup was nasty so opening day it was 96 or 97 pedro threw me three balls that i thought were a strike and that's when the umpires like took care of me 
So it was three balls and no strikes, and I thought I just saw three strikes. So the next uh, three pitches, he painted all three of them for strikes, and not one of those pitches I could have hit. Like, I, I can see the pitch very easily, but that time there was not one pitch I could hit in that six pitch at bat, and I thought they were all strikes. And that's how awesome Pedro was and still is. And uh, But Roger Clemens' performance against our Kansas City Royals in like one of those years, um, he struck out 19 of us. That split finger was effing nasty. I mean, we, we couldn't do anything about it. I mean, his fastball was 98 at the top of the zone. So if you don't swing at it um, – it's a strike. And then that splitter was absolutely unbelievable. So it will drop so far and a great performance. I, I think Clemens won the uh, Cy Young that year. And I mean, I, I believe Clemens should be a hall of famer. He's just absolutely amazing. You know, he was a, he was the closest thing to Tom Seaver that I saw. Yeah. Seaver was the, and I've said this before, Seaver was the, the best pitcher I ever saw. And uh, um, yeah. he was yeah. uh, Greg Maddox with about 10 more miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, uh, but Clemens was close. And, uh, yeah. and I've, I've always, and Mike's heard me say this before. I, uh, my biggest uh, pet peeve about the changing of the rules in baseball is to put the DH in both leagues because the DH uh, is, I think, is a bad rule, and I've said this before. Uh, if you look at when Roger Clemens pitched in the American League, he would have thrown at his mother. Yeah. And when he went to the National League with Houston that first year, he didn't hit a person. He didn't hit one person. Right. Because he had to bat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a fact. He, he didn't hit anybody. Right. And, uh, but that's how good his control was, and he threw really hard. Yeah. So it was uh, that that tells you right there how how great great a control he had with that much speed on the ball. So yeah, and uh, all all these pimping of home runs. Like I was taught by the Gary <coughs> Gaetis of the world, the Wally Joiners. Like pretend like you've been there. Like you hit a home run, run, and I'm going. I always do that, so I'm not too concerned about it. But like today, these guys can enjoy every single bat flip because they're protected. You know, if the pitcher goes out and hits them the next time, they have a fine. They might be suspended, but um, you can't get after it like you uh, yeah, once well that, were. That's another thing that they they probably shouldn't have changed because the players would police themselves. And yeah. a couple of years ago, they had this thing, just let them play. That was not a smart idea. <laughs> to, to, oh, well, let's, let's let them bat flip. Let's let them be a hot dog. And, and that's, that's the worst thing you can do. You, you need to respect the game as to what it's for. Yeah. And, and you're, you're right. You should, you should act like a professional when you hit a home run. I was yeah. told at a very young age that the difference between an amateur and a professional is the professional acts like he meant to do it. Yeah. And the amateur's surprised that he did it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and, and, and 
guys, I was always against like putting a guy on second base for uh, extra innings. And then I was up at Cooperstown for Big Poppy's uh, um, uh, Hall of Fame induction. And I was talking to Mike Lowell and he goes, it's actually not a bad idea. And he explained it to me. He goes, do you want to play 20 innings or, or you put somebody out there and you have a quicker outcome? And I'm like, you know, that's actually not a bad idea. I never <laughs> looked at it that way. And I'm like, all right, I, I changed. Well, here's, got Go ahead, here's, what I, here's what I look at when you put a guy on second base. There was a guy that pitched for the Pittsburgh Pirates that pitched 14 perfect innings. If you'd have put the runner on second base when he had a perfect game going into the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th inning, would that have been fair to him? No, not at all. Not. No. And he pitched 14 perfect innings. He got beat in the 14th inning uh, by one run, and he lost the game. That's not fair to put the game. You, you're changing the whole attitude of our history. Yes, uh, Correct. Uh, one of the things uh, we had a guest on uh, a week ago, his, uh, his name was George Will. Yeah. And he said, uh, we should take the game back to 154 games instead of 162 so that we can establish the same pattern that everybody played with. If you remember when Roger Maris hit 61 home runs, they would put an asterisk by its name because he did it in 162 games instead of 154. Right. And they say, well, there's more money. Well, how much more money do you need? It's a long season. Um, World Series is going to be played in November yeah. this year. That, yeah. They have scheduled World Series games in November. Now, I understand you want to expand the playoffs, so why don't you shorten the season by eight games? Right. I, I agree 100%. I just saw a different – angle from what Mikey Lowell said and I actually love how soccer is I'm a big Premier League soccer fan and I love the fact that if teams don't try to get after it you get relegated Relegate. back to AAA yeah. and then you bring the top teams up and you also you just tell people like if you're not going to compete you're out uh, but there's a uh, but they also have these championship series. So a month into the season, there might be a championship for, you know, the Southeast. So a lot of teams can have a chance to raise a trophy or like the UEFA uh, Cup or the uh, CONCACAFA Cup or something. Like there's all these different things that teams, if you don't win the World Series, you – can win something that's amazing and it, i i have fell in love with soccer and what they're about and i'm like man maybe baseball should start looking into that angle where i mean some of these teams who aren't good right now they might have a chance to qualify for a title and it brings a lot back to their um, communities to their city because who knows if some of these – it might be 86 years for a bunch of these teams to win a championship is what I'm saying. Well, but let me, let me ask you this. Guys, it's time to bring that summer heat back into the bedroom. 
That's right. Confidence can take you far in life. It can also help you in the bedroom, especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in a chewable tablet and at the fraction of a cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead and be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of our licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive a prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online, so no doctor's office visits, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the United States and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. They always say first impressions are important. What about lasting impressions? Yeah, it's time to get off the couch and back to work. If your tool needs an upgrade, you need BlueChew.com. Women say there's nothing sexier than confidence. And Blue Chew can help give you confidence where it counts. So if you can benefit from the extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code Joe West at checkout. Just pay $5 for shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code Joe West to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com. For more details and important safety information, and we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this podcast. My one of my big pet peeves, and uh, and a couple of guests we've had agreed with me on this is during the playoffs there are no day games. We have we have kids that grow up and get out of high school and have never seen a World Series game because they start so late. Right. And we have another issue that uh, I, I've complained about when I umpire is why do we start a game at four thirty or five in the afternoon when the shadows between the mound and home plate? Correct. Why are we letting television dictate everything that goes on when it's not safe for the players to play in a shadow like that? Right. Every every game you play should be either at twelve thirty or one o'clock, or should be a night game. Yeah. Yeah, and, there's, and there's, there should be postseason games played in the daytime, in the in the local daytime. I don't care if it's in Los Angeles and it starts at one o'clock. And yeah. in fact, I don't care if it's in Los Angeles and starts at seven o'clock. But be consistent so that you have the best conditions to play in. Yep. You don't you don't think the golf course wants you to play when you can't see? So why do you want to let a baseball player play when he can't see because of the shadows? I, I, I don't agree. I don't agree with letting television have anything to do with the time of the games. I, I agree. I played left field for the Yankees. And whenever we had a day game, I was like, son of a gun. This, this son is in my face for seven innings. I have to play like this the entire time. And I mean, I did it because I, you know, I could, but I would much rather not. But there's also situations where if you see a rainstorm coming, alert the team that rain's coming at seven. So let's start the game at four o'clock today. And like, <laughs> let's tell everybody because 
Nobody wants rain delays. Nobody wants double headers, but you can see it. It's kind of like when you get on a flight. It's like, if you don't take off now, we're stuck here for five hours. Well, let's put that in perspective. All this money is being thrown around. Uh, how do you build a billion-dollar stadium that doesn't have a retractable roof? I.e. Yeah. Minnesota? <laughs> or Yankee Min Stadium? Yeah. You, you know, I think we're going to see more of that with the balanced schedule next year. Uh, and you only play a team that one time in their ballpark and the rain might be on the way. And we, we've seen a little bit this year. We've had some games get moved up as far as the time was concerned in trying to beat the rain. And I think we're going to see more of it next year. Okay. I can, I can remember when they told us that they were not putting a roof on in, in Minnesota at the new ballpark. <laughs> and Jimmy Lee Solomon was the, in charge of the umpires at the time. He, he said, they, oh, they, they voted not to put a roof on in Minneapolis. I said, then you guys are giving the wrong people up there the drug test. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to play most of your games during the summer. And if Major League Baseball would grant you that schedule, but playing September, October, you're in trouble. You got snow. You know, it's not just rain. Yeah. It's, it snowed on us in 2009. We uh, clinched against the uh, Twins. And... We're out in the middle of the street doing uh, um, angels. <laughs> oh, snowing down on us. Phil Coke and I and a couple other of our players were like, we just clinched in three games. Yeah, We're here until tomorrow. Let's have a good time. So we were making snow angels yeah. in the uh, middle of uh, Minneapolis. Well, here's another one. I mean, and, and the ballpark in Denver is gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And, uh, but I'll never forget, you know, why wouldn't you build a dome stadium there? You got the same problem with the weather, both in the summer months when you have storms that come across that mountain and in the fall when you have uh, cold weather. Yeah, or even it, in the beginning of the season. Think yeah. about how many games at the beginning of the season they have snow. Yeah. yeah. Joe, you know what? There's a lot of great things about people who drink coffee. But guess what? We found something that will soothe everybody's palate when it comes to having a good cup of coffee. Yeah, this new company that's helping us sponsor this podcast is called Trade Coffee, and they design the coffee to your individual taste. I can remember traveling across the country doing umpiring all over the country, and the coffee's different everywhere you go. The coffee in Seattle's different than the coffee in Atlanta. And I, I think the good thing about this is Trade Coffee – makes your coffee so that you like it and it's like your choice in, of how you want it to taste. And you know, one of the things I noticed about trade coffee is the fact that they've tested over 450 roasts. So they know exactly what they can recommend for you. And that's something I don't think anybody else has even thought about a 450 different tests and B you can have something that fits what you like compared to what you're being poor because somebody else likes it. Look, they've delivered over 5 million bags of fresh coffee with more than 750,000 positive reviews. You can't do any better than that. Hey, how about the fact that you just said deliver? Trade coffee can be delivered to you instead of you having to go out and search for it. And I think that really solves a lot of problems for people because in some cities, you may be able to find a certain coffee. In other cities, you can't. But with trade coffee, all you have to do is get it delivered to you and you're set. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping when you go to 
drinktrade.com slash Joe West. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. And you can get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com slash Joe West. And then they'll let Trade Coffee find the coffee that you'll love. That's drinktrade.com slash Joe West for $30 off. How about that? Trade Coffee, everybody. You'll love it. I can remember Bob Kemp. Bob Gephardt was the general manager there. And he came to me one day and he said, Joe, you're not going to believe this. We did everything right. We made it so that the handicapped people can park in the player's lot and we'll roll their wheelchairs right up to the fence in left field, the chain link fence. And that way we don't have to build ramps. We don't have to have specialty bathrooms. We don't have to have this, this and that for the handicap. And, and he said, and everything went great until one of our guys hit a home run and 13 people got up out of wheelchairs and ran for the ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, you're such a great um, historian of baseball, Joe. I mean, it's unbelievable. Like every time I talk to you, um, I pay attention because you, uh, I mean, your knowledge of the game and, you had to deal with other issues that us players didn't have to deal with. And it's great seeing like your insight and I love it. Hey, Johnny, for you, who was the best player you played with and who's the best player you ever saw? Oh man, there's so many. I mean, Carlos Beltran may have been like the most talented and I was with him early in his career with the Royals, like the thing that he did not do was like backup bases. Like I did. He learned over time because like if our catchers and had a lot more errors, like when I had to move to left field and he went to center, our catchers had a few more errors. He, he learned over the years, but he was like, just built perfectly for baseball. Um, Barry Bonds, like you're in awe of just that season that he had. I mean, he was intentionally walked over 200 times. I'm not sure if I got on base 200 times that year. Or <laughs> at a, I mean, and I had a really good year. Um, Mariano, that cutter, I mean, they say he threw 93, 94. It felt like 100 when you were at bat. And it, lefties had no chance against him. Towards the end of my career, I did a little bit better. Like I was able to bloop a couple balls into the outfield. But I had to scoot up on him and try to get that cutter before it moved. Um, it's such a great game. So many memories that... Um, you know, it comes back to me sometimes and you're like, oh, yeah, this son of a gun just tore me up. Like we had great battles against the uh, Blue Jays. Like Roy Holiday was just an incredible pitcher. But the way the Blue Jays defense played me, they had their shortstop over by third base, their third baseman in, second baseman towards first base. I was like, I can play pepper and hit. 400 off of Doc and nobody else can do that. So that's what I did. I was like, I'm not trying to hit a home run off this guy. I'm just trying to get on base and not feel bad about myself because this guy is so nasty. Um, 
and the competitions I had after I went to New York, you know, facing like Josh Beckett and, um, yeah, like Schilling again. And then John Lester. I mean, those were like the battles. I'm like, man, I wish I could have been playing with you still, but you guys didn't offer me a contract. So I had to go <laughs> over to the Yankees and, uh, figure out, you know, what's hey, going how was that happen? adjustment? How was that adjustment? Those two teams and the history they have with each other, you go from one to the other. How, how, how did that affect you? It was hard because I'm a very emotional and believe it or not, a very loyal person. So I bought a house in Boston after the world series because they said I was going to be there for a long time. A contract was coming, contract never came. So when I became a free agent, um, at that time, you can only talk to your current team for six weeks and uh, before anybody else could. Not one conversation with the Red Sox. So when I'm looking at free agency. Detroit just lost 120 games. I called Detroit, spring trainings in Lakeland, Florida. I'm like, uh, I believe I can help you all win. You guys are so close. And they said, we would love to have you, but we're giving this young kid, Curtis Granderson, a shot um, at the big leagues. And then I turned my attention to the Dodgers. Um, they just signed Raphael for call, and all of a sudden they said they didn't have any money to sign me. So the Yankees were the only other team. So I started talking to the Yankees. And I'm like, um, if you can agree to this tonight, it's done. I'm coming to the Yankees, but I called the Red Sox and, you know, they thought I was bluffing. I, they thought I was lying. And I was like, I don't do that. I'm not that kind of guy. I don't lie. And then the Yankees said, okay, we will do it. And I called the Red Sox like one last chance. You're bluffing. And I was like, all right. It was a honor and a pleasure to, Played for the Red Sox, won the World Series. Um, you'll find out who I just signed with. <laughs> and then uh, it was the Yankees. And people always ask, Did you, like, you had to hate the Yankees. I'm like, no, I never hated the Yankees. I respected the way they played the game. All those guys hustle. Like, I loved watching Paul O'Neill, um, Bernie Williams hustling at all times and just getting after it. So I was like, um, it beats going out to the West Coast because I'm a Florida kid, um, East Coast kid. So I was like, I it would be difficult for me to do that, especially with young kids and it worked out for everybody. You know, I closed out the old Yankee stadium with the, uh, um, game winning three run Homer, um, opened the new stadium with the, uh, first hit and winning the championship in New York made my transition. Like, okay, <laughs> I'm glad this worked out because after I left, Boston spent a ton of money on like Dice K and a number of other guys. And I was like, this sucks when your former team wins a world series, like two years after you leave, like the year I left, the Yankees won the division that I helped them get there. And the Red Sox finished in fourth. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> suck on that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, 
that's how you have to look at things. And then the next year, money that they found, they ended up winning a championship, and I was not too happy. But, you know, things worked out for a reason. You don't complain as much as uh, some people do. I just keep getting after it, and I always try to bring my A game every time. So did you did you think uh, Big Poppy was uh, was an awesome teammate? He was fantastic. Yeah. The minute he came over, he accepted his role as a pinch hitter um, and maybe DHing sometimes uh, when if Jeremy Giambi was hurt and um, he smashed the ball. Yeah, in well, he, he, opportune he, he, times and. The kid was incredible. You remember when uh, the Twins spring training used to be in Orlando? Yes, Tinkerfield. And uh, I had one of his first games ever with the with the Twins. And, of course, back then we were National League umpires and American League umpires, so yeah. I was sent there because they were playing, I think, the Astros. Yeah. Now, Big Poppy was put in as a defensive replacement, <laughs> which <laughs> – I right. mean, this is the ninth inning, so. And uh, so he throws the ball around, and they, he catches, catches the last ball and throws it in the dugout, and he's walking back toward first base where I am. And I said, I hope you play in this league a long time. And, of course, in his broken English, he said, thank you, thank you very much. I said, because as long as you're in this league, I won't be the ugliest guy in it. <laughs> and he just dropped his head like oh my what did i walk into you know? he never said another word right that's so, awesome years later he, he gets traded to the red sox and he becomes the star that he was he's a hall of famer you know he's hitting home runs he's he helped them win the their first world series and so on and so on so then his career is going to end. He's announced his retirement. Now, I had already gotten in trouble by saying that the Red Sox and the Yankees are not following the commissioner's edict to play, to speed up the game. And uh, so he comes to bat the last year he plays, and he's announced his retirement. And I said, uh, get in the box. Let's go. He said, I have something to tell you. <laughs> I said, I don't want to hear it. Get in the box. You guys play too slow. Just let me tell you one thing. All right, tell me one thing and then get in the box. He says, you know I'm retiring. Well, that made me mad then. <laughs> I don't care if you retire. Get in the batter's box. He said, one more thing. I said, okay, tell me and then get in the box. He said, next year. You be the ugliest guy in the league. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he said the last time I had him. Oh, he's, so, he's great. So you mentioned Carlos Beltram, you know, and he was playing with the Yankees at the end of his career. And uh, he slid in second base in like the first or second game, of, or first or second inning of the game. And as Jeter and uh, Cano bring him his glove, he says, hey, Grandpa, because I was the oldest umpire. He says, hey, Grandpa. And, of course, Jeter and Cano looked at me real quick like, I said, I might be your grandpa. I was in Puerto Rico in 1977. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, 
everybody thinks that umpires are these these two-headed monsters out there. And I, I, I hope this podcast has made everybody relieved that we're realize that we're real people. We're just, we're just trying to do our job and, and take care of the game of baseball. So, yeah. Yeah. You guys are fantastic. And I mean, we need you. Like there's all these talks about, um, these, um, robots and all that stuff it's like no like we love the personality that you brought to the game and we understand like it's our fault if we don't learn about certain umpires like i knew when angel hernandez was behind the plate we were swinging at whatever strike we saw because he he likes to call the strikes i don't blame him for that i went quick games especially if we're in New York, and we have a whole night to go out and have a good time. <laughs> it's like, okay, let's get the game over. Let's go. <laughs> well, when I first came to the big leagues, we had an umpire named Lee Wire. And if it got there between the dugouts and in the air, you better be swinging. Yeah. <laughs> and we had Dutch Renner who had a postage stamp strike zone. You had to throw it right down the middle for him to call it. And uh, Bruce Freming had a small strike zone. Yep. Frank Pulley had a big strike zone. Uh, it's just, uh, uh, and until we put in the zone evaluation, uh, each umpire pretty much had a different strike zone. Yeah. And I think that, uh, the zone evaluation and grading the umpires has tightened that up. So, yeah, uh, for sure. I, but, I, I love the games that I actually got kicked out of because I had no chance to hit the baseball. <laughs> I mean, there was, a how many time times that, did you get kicked out? Um, well, at least three times, one for fighting. Um, I got hit. Um, like it was the Royals Cardinals back in 97, like this day that Prince's die passed and Jermaine die hits a grand slam. He pimps it. The pitcher doesn't even take a sign. And Tony Muser was like, guys, you, you're a bunch of wimps. We need to get into a fight. So, um, Whenever we can do it, let's do it. So Pekaisik doesn't take a uh, signal. He hits me with a slider of the ankle after it. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> we got to get into a fight. So I run out to the mound. I was like, I'm not really mad, but my, my manager said, like, we're, we're a bunch of wimps, and I'm not throwing a punch. I'm not doing anything, but here we are. And then another time, I get thrown out. A.J. Burnett's with Toronto. He's carving us up, sixth inning. Joe Torrey sends up uh, Matsui to pinch hit. Uh, Matsui pinch, um, check swings. Um, third base umpire. Um, oh, no, the home plate umpire calls a strike, and Joe Torrey goes, uh, you can ask the third base. You don't have to umpire. You don't have to call it yourself. And then he goes, what what'd you say, Johnny? I was like, oh, no, he was just asking, like, ask the third base umpire. And he goes, are you arguing balls and strikes? I was like, I'm just asking a question. And he goes, you're out of the game. I was like, thank you, because A.J. Burnett was dealing. And, and we rattled him because two batters later, A-Rod takes him deep. So now we're up. Uh, he hits a three-run homer. It rattled Burnett. We got lucky in that game. And the next time was when Bartolo Colon's pitching because you can't. His ball was moving three feet, so 
I strike out the first time, inside pitch. I know it's not on the plate, but it ends up in the catcher's glove. Uh, um, looks like a strike if you watch it on TV. If you, But I was like, so I asked the umpire, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Is it a strike when it crosses the plate or where it ends up? And he goes, oh, when it crosses the plate. So my next time I come up, I strike out on a pitch that's about six or seven inches inside, comes back over, catcher catches it down the middle. And I was like, you told me it was a uh, um, wherever it crosses the plate. And he's like, are you arguing? I was like, I I can't hit this. Nobody can hit this. So, yes, I am arguing. Please <laughs> kick me out of the game because I don't want to strike out looking two more times. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, well, Johnny, man, this has been a blast talking to you. Uh, you've always been a, a fun player to watch and, and a good player, and the numbers certainly indicate that. And uh, we appreciate you spending time with us on the podcast, the 5460 Podcast. Yeah, hey, love it. And uh, thank you, guys. And, Joe, I'll see you soon. Okay. He's not going to give you strokes after this. I'm going to just remind you that. You, you get Whoa. no strokes from him. I I, I learned how I, – I know his soft spot now, so uh, – <laughs> <laughs> it was been a pleasure it's always right. good to see you i'll see you All at the right. club okay that was great take All care right. for johnny damon for joe west i'm mike claiborne we thank you for tuning in to another edition of 5460 the joe west podcast have a great day my baby took me to the ballpark See a baseball game Lord, it had to be at least 99 in the shade I was stealing a glance at some tight short pants Just as I turned my head My baby grabbed me by the arm and this is what she said If you cheat on me, you'll be out at home If I catch you playing the field, you're gonna be long gone Better play it safe and don't do me wrong Cause if you cheat on me, you'll be out at home You've been listening to 5460, the Joe West Podcast here on the Podcast Heat Network. Make sure to subscribe and don't miss an episode each and every Monday. We'll talk to you next week. She's checking all the signs while I'm enjoying two of the great American pastimes It's fouling up my nerve watching all these curves Remembering what she said to me And if I get caught looking it's gonna be strike three If you cheat on me, you'll be out at home If I catch you playing the field you're gonna be long gone You better play it safe Don't do me wrong Cause if you cheat on me Well you'll be out at home If you cheat on me You'll be out at home If I catch you playing the field You're gonna be long gone You better play it safe And don't do me wrong Cause if you cheat on me Well you'll be out at home If you cheat on me, you'll be out at home.